is up, everybody, and welcome into the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code All NBA whenever you sign up. My name is Adam Mares, and I'm joined by Tim Legler. Tim, some great games over the weekend, some great games last night. I can't wait to get into these. And you got me in a really good mood, Adam, because my commanders went up to New England, got a win. So I'm in a really good mood as we sit here ready to talk about some NBA. All that tells me is I got to watch out for when they lose. I got to be careful on those days. I got to plan the show oh, to no be out. I got to go. I need time. I need to filter it. I need to get all my expletives out ahead of time. And then I come back and I, you know, I, I recenter myself and I'm, I'm good to go. But we got to win. So I'm happy. And we had some really entertaining games as well last night. All right, we got a recentered Legler. There we go. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Mavericks. There was a fantastic game in the association last night. Charlotte Dallas fourth quarter was really an entertaining one. And Legs texted me this morning saying, "Hey, we got to talk Dallas because I'm really high on their team." So we're going to get into that. Why is Legs so high on them? We're also going to talk about Cleveland Golden State and the Cavaliers. What to make of their three and four start? We're going to do a deep dive on Evan Mobley, one of the most interesting players I think coming into the season. And then last in the show, we're going to talk about the in-season tournament, which Legs was not too excited about going into the weekend, but maybe the tournament changed his mind. So we're going to get to all of that today on the All-NBA Show. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. really helps us out as we try to grow this show. Give us a five-star rating. If you feel like it, give us a review. Write some of the kind words about us uh, and share our stuff on social media. We all appreciate that as we get the show off the ground. But let's start in Dallas this fourth quarter was incredible. So Dallas is trailing for most of the game. They tie it on the first possession of fourth quarter, and then it was back and forth with some big-time shot making. These two teams have very similar styles. They play a four-out with one rim roller. Um, you know, very, very similar styles of play. And we got big-time performances from Luca and LaMelo. The stars came out. Legs, what stood out to you in this game, and in particular in this fourth quarter? Well, I think, you know, I was shocked, actually, when I saw the box score at the end of the game. I went and looked at the stats that, that Dallas was uh, 14 for 42 from the three because, I, I don't know if you agree with this, it seemed like they made every single three yeah. they had to make, particularly in the fourth quarter. And it was, you know, Grant Williams was huge for them in that quarter. Luca wasn't necessarily hurting him from the three. He was more like in his mid-range game, got to the line. Um, Jaden Hardy hit a big shot, a four-point yeah. play from the right corner. So, they, don't, they didn't shoot well overall as a team for the night, but, man, did they have to have it. And, then of course, on the other end, LaMelo Ball, who couldn't make an outside shot going into the fourth quarter, bangs five threes in the quarter, has a huge scoring quarter to keep them in the game. So just from, a, from an entertainment standpoint and a shooting standpoint, that fourth quarter had pretty much everything you could want as an NBA fan. And I think you're right about both guys, Luca and LaMelo. They mirrored each other in that the first three quarters – Okay, they're doing their things, but they weren't particularly on. But both guys in the fourth quarter were unbelievable. But Dallas pulled it off, and you mentioned Grant Williams. Three for three in the fourth quarter from the three-point line. To me, he's the huge inflection point for their team, and he knocking down the corner threes in, this, uh, in that fourth quarter really was the difference. The two teams did everything the same, but Grant Williams knocked down his corner shots. Well, look, you know, they, they went out specifically targeting Grant Williams. Why? Because they know they knew they needed to improve defensively. Grant Williams, one of the better positional defensive players in the front court we have in this league. He's, he's pretty versatile in being able to guard wing players as well, but he's really good at bigger guys, at, at clogging up the lane on penetration, super smart, and played in a lot of big games. And I think that's really, really important. 
right? You bring in a guy that has taken and made pressure shots under playoff conditions, and that is something else Dallas was looking to add. So you get the benefit on both ends of the floor, and he gave a little taste of that last night with his clutch shooting and then also being able to position himself defensively at important times when they had to have it down the stretch. So where was he defensively? Like, what was it that that stood out to you about his defense in the fourth? Best thing that Grant Williams does, if you if you watch him and break down film on him, he is so good at being on the weak side of the floor, two feet outside the paint, and his head is always on a swivel to understand when there's any penetration coming to, in his direction, whether that's somebody taking it from the wing down the middle, and now he's going to slide over to the middle of the lane, or he's that baseline rotation guy. He's always there. He's never late. You can trust him. But then more importantly, doesn't stop with that. When the ball is kicked out and reversed, he's a great closeout three-point defender. And so it's it's multiple efforts on the same play. This is how he really made his bones in this league. He made a name right. for himself in Boston. He added the three-point shooting element later. You know, we first started noticing him because he was physical. He, you know, he seemed like he was getting into chippy confrontations quite a bit yeah. when he was involved in starting out. Always laying his body on the line. Seemed like he's on his back four or five times a game trying to draw charges. And then he realized, hey, if I really want to make money in this league and, and stick around and be really important, I better learn how to space it out and shoot threes. And that's what he has added to his game. And he was seven for nine last night, four for five from the three. So in 31 minutes, a very efficient 18 points, four boards, three assists, and multiple plays that won't show up on the stat sheet. We talked about this, I think, in both of our first two shows, but we love guys that know what they are and know what their shots are and sort of stick to them. And that's Grant Williams so far in Dallas. That's kind of been his thing is he knows where his shots are coming. And Legs, he's shooting 56% from three this season. And at first glance, you think, okay, that's hot. He's just running hot. Nobody's going to shoot 56%. But then I looked a little deeper. He's getting 59% of his threes are coming from the corners in Dallas. His career, about 43% of his uh, of his threes come from the corners. 43%, that's a normal number for a role-playing guy. You know, a little bit less than half. Right now, almost two-thirds of his threes are coming from the corners. I think from watching them play, that's that's by design. Their, their, their ability to play four out, roll lively to the basket, who's a tremendous, you know, paint threat. I think that that is now his spot, and he doesn't have to do. He doesn't have to move from those spots in their attack. So I'm kind of buying this career three point shooting year because of where those shots are coming from. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna I completely agree with you. I'm gonna add another element to this. Now Grant Williams played with some great offensive players in Boston. He did not play with anyone that can get the ball from one side of the floor to the other on a rope right. the way Luka Doncic can. So so think about. When you're a when you're a you know average to slightly above average three point shooter by league standards, which is how I would describe him, it's not we're we're not talking about Curry and Thompson, you know. Here we're talking about a guy that's a, it's a good open three point shooter. Well, guess what? When you give guys number one passes, and he threw one last night, Luca from the left wing to the yep. right corner yep. that literally literally hit him in the cradle. It, it hit him right here in his right shoulder. So all he had to do was catch, shoot, and release. When you get the ball to guys, number one, accurately, but more importantly, with that kind of velocity, it gives you an extra half account. And, and guess what? When, you, when you're a good three-point shooter and you have an extra count from a defender getting to you and, and contesting and getting you know, palm on palm, if he can't get there and do that, you have now turned that, that average three-point shooter into an elite three-point shooter. So right. Grant Williams, and I'll make a prediction right here. 
Luka Doncic to Grant Williams catch and shoot threes this year will be top 10 or top five in the league combinations from Man. any point guard to any player. He, he's going to get that many clean looks from Luka, and the majority of his assists will come from Luka Doncic. Um, so he's never played with a guy quite like this, and that's why the timely three-point shooting might be even more impactful because he's going to have a little bit more time to get those off. The, the pass you're talking about was incredible. And the thing about it was Luca, you know, a lot of guys, they they fling that. It's a it's an over-the-head hard pass. It was a wrist pass. He's he's kind of got the ball out. Of, he's waiting for the defense. He's kind of holding it above his head waiting. And as soon as they come, he just flicks his wrist like this all the way across the court right into the shooting pocket as you're talking about. Um, I love that prediction. It's a hot take because if you would have said coming into the year that Luca to Grant Williams would be a top five three-point shooting, you know, assist to shooter duo, that would have sounded crazy. But here we are with him shooting 60%. Um, so yeah, that fourth quarter, it was a lot about Grant Williams. It was a lot about their, their ability to space out and, and, and to generate those looks in the clutch and to knock them down. But let's look at this. Dallas is second in offensive rating this season behind only Boston, who Boston's numbers right now, they're probably going to regress back to the mean because right now they're five points per 100 possessions better than anybody in NBA history. They're 22nd in defensive rating. Now, here's the thing. They are getting outscored in the paint by 13 a game. Outscored by 13 a game, yet they're 5-1, and one, and they have the second-best offense. So how is this? And, and is this surprising to you that they're not scoring in the paint, but they're still generating this kind of offense? Yeah, well, I think the paint numbers are going to come up as as we get a little bit more comfortable. Luca, in particular, I think you know he's he's taking a lot of jump shots. I, I think that number will yeah. start to come back to the norm. And look, even Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving's been one of the better paint scoring guards in this league. He really hasn't gone off yet. He's been pretty pedestrian by Kyrie Irving standards, which is a great sign for Dallas, by the way. That's a five and one, and he hasn't really had to go nuts on any given night to try to bail them out. So that's a very good sign. Well, so hold think, up, hold up, Legs. I think actually on that point, I, I think it's a positive in that one of the fears of Kyrie is, is he going to take over too much? Is he going to fit in or is he going to take over too much? And I actually think he is, he's been a little passive, but it's almost like he's trying extra hard to fit in. That That's my read on how he's, Kyrie's played so far. I agree with that. And I'll make this statement. I don't think Kyrie Irving in his life will certainly never be prior to the NBA because he was always the man, the alpha on every yeah. team he ever played on. When he got to the league, look at some of the teams he's played on you know, with LeBron and KD. Yeah. And now he's here with Luca. So you talk about the, you know, these, these alphas that he's playing with. He's never been, I think, further removed from the question about whether it's like his team. Is he the best offensive player? Like th there was a lot of nights in Cleveland. LeBron just kind of like let him be the guy for long stretches. Same thing in Brooklyn. That's not the case here. Like, this is so clearly Luka Doncic's show. And I think that maybe helps Kyrie. Yeah. He can pick his spots a little bit more. And that's better for their team ultimately, Adam. I think um, for him to play this way, I've enjoyed watching Kyrie Irving to this point <laughs> in this season. And, and look, a yeah. lot of it has to do with, and we're, I want to get into next, a lot of it has to do with these, these other guys that I want to talk about that, are just perfect pieces and giving them young legs and athletic energy that they really need. And so I'm a little bit higher on Dallas than I was at the start of the year. Well, and to your point on, on Kyrie, you, Luca, we all know five out or four out with one rim roller. That's the, that's the formula. And people think, okay, you need spot up shooters. They have those. 
But you also need guys that can attack the closeout because you're going to start getting in guys into rotation. And often that second drive, you kick out, and the second drive makes even better looks. That's Kyrie's – that's one of his main roles on this team is he's so good at attacking closeouts and then either finishing or finding the open guy. But all right, I want to get into this because, yeah, you said you were – the text you sent me said this might be the best Luka team that he's had in the NBA so far. And I'm guessing it does have to do with a lot of these young guys. So who is it that's standing out to you, and why do you feel that way about this Mavs team? Well, the first one we already talked about, Grant Williams, like just that addition, yeah. I think. Because, you know, look at guys that have played that spot before for them. Um, I don't think any of those guys in that spot have been the dual threat that Grant Williams is. And the impact right. defensively, in addition yeah. to the consistent three-point shooting. So that's an upgrade right there, and that's critical playing with Luka. But it's these other guys, Josh Green, Derek Lively, Jaden Hardy, and all three of those guys had prominent roles in the game last night. I mean, Derek Lively, what he is giving them now is the threat that every single time Luka comes off a high ball screen with him, there's a threat for a lob dunk. And, you know, even the play you mentioned last night, we, we talked about that skip pass to the corner to Grant yeah. Williams from the left wing. You know, the, the other thing that Luka does, and it's because he's got guys like Lively on the court, and even, even Powell is, is good at this, Luca holds the ball over his head, and, and his eyes are looking at somebody under the rim or on the baseline enough to freeze the backline defender. He's so good at it. He knows he's going to Grant Williams the entire time. But when he puts that ball above his head and he looks at that dunk spot and those guys that can go above the rim, it freezes the backline rotation guy just enough so that when he throws that ball cross court, you can't really get there and contest it. And that's what Derek Lively is giving them. I mean, and it's 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 more than just the lob dunk threat. I mean, 14 rebounds last night. He's all over the place with his energy. And then guys like Green and Hardy are so important because they're athletic. They have quick bursts, right? They, they're guys that can attack closeouts. They're guys that when there's two guys shifted to Lucas' side and the ball gets reversed, and maybe it's not, you know, catch and shoot three, which neither of those guys are great at that right now. Hey, if that defender is a little closer, put my head down, get into the gap, attack the rim keep making a play for somebody green had a great one last night where he went right a baseline and threw a, a hook pass to the left corner to yeah that was a, three, yep. right at an important time so i just think they're versatile they're more athletic they look hungrier they're better defensively i think ultimately when this is all said and done so at first i thought it was a little bit of a mirage it's a lucas show early they won some games he's been spectacular it's more than that and and i thought last night was a good example of it I really like Josh Green. I just love that mold of player. A phenomenal defender. He leads the Mavs right now in offensive rating. I know that's a team stat, not an individual one. But oftentimes when you have a guy who's, you know, you wouldn't guess that he would be the guy that's leading him in offensive rating. What do you see? What is, what's his upside and what are you looking at from for him this season? Yeah, look, I, you know, this he's 22 years old. So we always have to keep this in mind with some of these guys. You, you know, you want to think that guys are, are finished products, but, you know, because he's, he's four years in the league, he's still 22. So I think for, for him, I think it's going to be less about necessarily a numerical leap in statistics. I think for him, it's going to be being on the court in the fourth quarter when it matters. Because guys like, like Josh Green, you, know, you could have a night where you get 14-15 a year ago doesn't mean nearly as much as getting eight in a game like last night. It, right. It's more impactful because of when you get them and the fact that you're on the court and, mm. and they have more trust in you. So I think that's what I want to see out of him. And, and even a guy like Jaden Hardy, who right now is going to make you know some mistakes just because he's so raw and energetic. But man, you know that burst that he has and the athletic ability that he has, 
is just something they haven't really had in that spot. So I think both of those guys are just going to be two players to watch as the year goes on. You know, the, the moments in the game that matter when you're watching the Mavericks, I think both of them are going to have their fingerprints on that. And that, to me, is a step forward, whether it translates necessarily into increased scoring production or not. It's about when did you get them and when were you on the floor and how much were you on the floor. That tells you a lot about how they view it because I think, obviously, Dallas is going to win a lot of games, so they're going to have a more prominent role in a winning team. We had a great question in the chat from Victor Vick. He, said, he asked, Dallas's first and second half defensive ratings are night and day. 28th in the first half, 11th in the second half. Why do you think this is happening? I will say, when net ratings in general or defensive rating, these things are tough six, seven games into a season because they're just so volatile. And then you break it into halves, even more volatile. But I will give my theory, and then I'm curious what you think here about why they improve in the second half. Luka is such a big part of their defense. I see this with Denver all the time. Jokic is obviously a big part of Denver's defense. When you have that workload on offense, I just think those types of players have to play at one speed in the first three quarters and a different speed in the fourth. And so my hunch would just be that this has a lot to do with, and, and even in this last game, Charlotte was, Luca was the mark. They kept going at him, getting the switches on him, and then going at him and trying to make him work on the defensive end. And my guess is first three quarters, he's in a certain gear. Fourth quarter, he's in a different gear. I think you basically took the words out of my mouth in answering that question because I think you watch a guy like Luka Doncic and look, one, one of the question marks I have ultimately about Dallas being able to win the whole thing, right, really be – that level of team when you can get into the mix with the other contenders that we know who they are is Luca's lack of willingness, right. To really lay it on the line defensively and really dig in and commit, right. Yeah. And sprint back and transition and like, stop getting in these conversations in the backcourt with the officials all the time where you're compromising your team on the other end of the floor. Like, is he ever going to get past that? Here's the thing about Luca when he wants to, and it's not going to be necessarily guarding a, a really good ISO player on the wing. That's never going to be his thing. He's not super quick laterally with his first couple steps defensively. He just isn't, but he is very strong. And if he's able to guard guys where he doesn't have to move laterally as much with a live dribble, he can be a very good defender and he gets better as the game goes on. So I agree with you. I think at the start of the game, guys like Luca come out, He's sort of jogging around a little bit, right? He's trying to get that first lather, get his first sweat going, right? He'll get a few shots up. He's not going to be killing himself to get back. He's not going to, you know, sacrifice himself to, to, to put himself in front of a driver. That stuff improves as the game goes on, and he is an important part of their defense because his physical strength and his defensive rebounding are critical to their team. So I do think there's an element to that, and I think, look – if you're going to have it one way, Adam, that's the way you want to have it, right? Make the adjustments right. at halftime, yep. improve in the second half, because that's that, that's when you have to get stopped. The game's going to slow down. Possession become more critical. So, it, you know, if, if you're a Dallas fan, you're watching this saying, man, why are we so bad at the start? Hopefully that improves. But at least for now, take solace in the fact that it does get better in the last 24 minutes. They're an interesting team. Um, off to a really good start, and I think they're probably moving up a tier in most people's sort of how they're viewing them. They do have some tough matchups ahead, so I think there'll be some good challenges, and, and they're a team that we're probably going to learn a lot about here in the next couple of weeks. Um, let's take a quick break. On the other side, another good game in the association last night, Golden State at Cleveland. Cleveland got a much-needed home win, so we're going to get to that and more. We're also going to talk about Evan Mobley, do a deep dive on him on the other side. We'll be right back. The All-NBA Show is proudly presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Right now, they're celebrating an unbeatable offer. New customers can get just $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. 
Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone gets a shot at even bigger basketball wins. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball is more fun when you're in on the action, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. That's promo code ALLNBA. New customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5 on any game. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, you can call 877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for uh, gambling problems. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsible. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, licensed partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here, segment two, All NBA Show. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can listen to it on any of your podcast app. Rate and review for us. Help us grow this show. Keep us talking basketball, the X's and O's of every game. All right, Golden State at Cleveland. Cleveland snapped a 16-game losing streak. They have not beaten Golden State since 2016. Christmas Day since 2016. Kind of a random stat there. Um, Both teams on the second night of a back-to-back. And the Cavs in the second quarter really hit the offensive glass. It got a lot of second chance points, just dominated physically. I thought they looked a lot bigger than Golden State in this game, which I think is going to be a running theme for Golden State throughout the year. But they grabbed the win 115 to 104. Legs, what did you see in this game uh, from the Cavs that helped them get this win? Well, first, you know, you don't really say this too often about early season wins. This was a big win for Cleveland. I mean, it really was. It really was. And, and look, they, they got Darius Garland back a game ago, so this was his second game. And, and I think we talked about Cleveland earlier and said you know, it's really hard to judge them without Garland because of, you know, the pressure he puts on defenses, the ball in his hands, like what he does with ball screen. He's so dangerous. So now you saw him now two games in. He didn't shoot well last night, but he got to the line 13 times. So that, that helps them. But I think this was such a big win because – They've been kind of scratching their heads a little bit, right? The year they had last year, getting Donovan Mitchell, right? They kind of made a splash in the East, and everybody was looking at them totally differently. And this young front line playing three bigs at a time, like nobody was doing that. So now you come into the year and you go, okay, clearly he's the top two in the East. The Cavs are right there in the mix, arguably for the third best team in the Eastern Conference, right? With a couple other Should teams. Be. And they had a terrible start, and they just didn't look right. Well, I thought last night the difference was there was a desperation to their team defensively. Lots, a lot of games this year so far, Adam. I think that was as good as I have seen defensively in a team flooding to the paint to protect the rim and still being able to get out against a very dangerous three-point shooting team. They were frenetic in their energy. There was, you know, I, I always use this expression, don't wait till you're desperate to play desperately. That's right. how Cleveland played last night. It's early in the year, so you don't think this will be necessarily a big game. It is. And against that team offensively to play that well with their length, their contests, the number of shots they deterred, uh, their size was a major factor in this game. And I just thought defensively they knew they had to get this. You know, you, you lose, you go to two and five, man. That's a – you're already starting to dig yourself a hole here early in the year. So I just thought they answered the bell with a great defensive performance that was built around their length. 
not not just two and five. They were zero and three at home coming into this game. So it's, a lot of these games were at home. So they needed to get a home win and, and to not start in that hole. Um, I love that you brought up the flying around defensively because I actually thought this was a note for both teams. There was great ball movement in this game. There, there was a lot of possessions where I thought the ball got popping for both teams, and I thought both teams did a good job of scrambling around and and you know you know getting that. We see that from Golden State all the time, especially with their starting lineup. They're good at scrambling. Guys like Gary Payton. Those guys, they live to scramble on defense and to cover ground. But Cleveland last night, to your point, I thought you saw a lot of that. You saw a lot of it from Mobley, obviously, who, who um, makes a huge impact for them defensively. And I thought that was big. Darius Garland, 24 points, got to the line 13 times. You kind of mentioned him as an X factor. What is it about him that makes him such an X factor for them? The main thing is this, and, and I thought about this when Donovan Mitchell was in Utah forever, and and you know he was he's not a pure playmaking guard when he has to be. So I always thought the pressure on him at the end of games in Utah to be everything, you know, go, get a, get a big bucket, get thirty if you have to have it, and also by the way, you're going to have the ball all the time in big situations. Can you make those pocket passes and skip passes and jump passes and lobs that you have to make if that's what the situation dictates? I thought that was just too much on his plate. So when he now has another guard to take that responsibility away from him, I just think it helps him be what he is, which is a raw attacking scorer. And you saw, obviously, that last night, 31 points. He looked so comfortable with his jump shot. He was getting into it in transition. They dominated Golden State in early points. Their surge up the floor and their conversion was so much better than Golden State's. They limited the Warriors to 10 fast break points. A team that thrives on open court jump shooting – Hold him yeah. to 10 points while you get 26 of your own. That's a big number. And I thought a lot of that was Mitchell, right? His ability to catch a throw ahead pass and just go to the rim. Nothing else on his mind, but just go be an elite scorer. And that's when he's at his best. And that's what Darius Garland helps do for him. So that his presence alone in controlling the basketball really helps Mitchell a lot. One of my critiques of Donovan Mitchell in years past is while I agree with you that his that's his best role is sort of in this attack mode. I think sometimes he – my biggest complaint about Donovan Mitchell is I don't think he always trusts his teammates to to put himself in that role. I think he can be too ball dominant, too too aggressive, this or that. So what is it – like what is the healthy balance there for him and what does he do – do you agree with that assessment and what is the healthy balance for him so that he can be in his perfect role? You know, there are some guys I'd watch and I'd, I'd make – I'd agree with that point. And, and it's – it's you wonder like what they're processing and it's just all about just being – you know, get, getting one up. You know, and right. that's that's kind of what I do. I think part of it is I, I don't necessarily know that Donovan Mitchell trusts himself to be able to make some of those plays for people. So mm-hmm. for him, and it might you know it might lead to turnovers when you don't want it. I think he trusts himself, particularly in close games. He trusts himself as the guy to go get the bucket because he's capable of it athletically. He's got deep range. He's he's got great bounce in his mid range that he can get off, and and he's a great finisher. So he just kind of trusts his ability more and trust his ability as a playmaker less to make those kind of plays. But he definitely, look, you have to be able to strike the balance because you're going to draw a certain amount of attention when you're a guy that can score the basketball like he can. And, and that, for him, is continuing to be a work in progress. And I think that means making sure guys like Jaron Allen you know, get rewarded at the right time. If right. you draw through on a hard drive, that drop-off for that lob to Allen has to be there. The lob to Mobley has to be there. He needs to trust those guys a little bit more. Cleveland's a very interesting team because they are in a group with some other teams trying to figure out who's going to lay claim to the third best team in the East. That's going to be a very interesting conversation. 
as we go on. And, and Cleveland will be in that discussion. And a lot of it will be built around Donovan Mitchell's ability to, to be more efficient when they have to have it. I think Cleveland also, you know, they have some great shooters. And they brought in some shooters this year. George Niang, Max Strus, both below 30% from three so far. So they're running a little bit cold. Is this just, and, and from what you've seen, is this hot and cold shooting? Or is there something else that, you know, like we talked about Grant Williams getting great shots and he's off to a hot start. Is there anything that you're seeing from them that maybe lends itself to their cold shooting? Well, Struis has certainly uh, got out of the gates uh, pretty well with seven threes in his first game. That's right. That's yeah. right. So he was seven for 13 uh, and 27 points in the first game of the year. And it kind of reminded everybody like, oh, that's right. The Cavs got Max Struis, right? And he's sort of cooled off from there. He's playing a lot of minutes and he's playing hard. And I think he and Niang both, it, it just does take a little bit of time to find a consistent rhythm when you put a different uniform on. Everything feels a little bit different to you. And sometimes you you squeeze it a little too tight because you want it so badly, right, to happen and to impress your new teammates, to impress your new coaching staff, to impress the fans if you're playing at home. And you press a little bit. And I think that might be going on with both of those guys. I think they do have to be careful sometimes with certain lineups that they're putting out there with both of those guys out there together, I think sometimes in terms of their quickness defensively can be a little bit of a problem. I think that's something that you're going to have to see them do a better job of balancing going forward. But I have no doubt, you know, historically what they're going to shoot, it will return to that form and they'll do it again in Cleveland. But it's a little bit weird with a new team, new teammates, new system, new fans, yeah. new media asking you questions. Like everything feels a little bit different and you just try a little bit too hard sometimes as a shooter. Before we move on to Mobley, I, I want to put a couple notes here on the Warriors. Uh, Chris Paul, 2 of 26 on the season from three. I, again, early season, there's all these outliers, but 2 of 26, that's a really cold stretch. I don't know if he's had a cold stretch through 26 shots from the three-point line like that in his entire career. What do you make of that number, and, and what do you make of Chris Paul so far in a Warriors jersey? Well, I think part of it is this. It's age. Okay. Yeah. It, it, listen, the guy's, the guy's 38 years old and it, it's, you know, your legs, it's, it's hard to have the same lift on your shot. It's not like he's, you know, a pogo stick out there jumping. He doesn't jump like Malik Monk when he shoots a three, that's, but that's not the point. It does affect your timing of your release a little bit. As you get older, it's harder to, to maintain that because you do feel it a little bit differently when you jump. I think that's part of it. The other part is the, the, the type of threes he's getting are different in here right? They're predicated on this certain type of ball movement where he's getting like these catch and shoot threes at a higher rate than he's used to. Mm. A lot of the threes he's gotten in the past have been ones when he's had, first of all, he's had the ball as a traditional point guard. And now you're eight minutes in, you've got the ball the whole time. You feel in rhythm all the time with your handle. And now a couple guys go under screens, you stop off a ball screen and you shoot a three. It's a different rhythm shot. That's not the kind of shots you're going to get here in Golden State. The ball is moving differently. A lot of what you're doing involves you not having it first. So for a player like Chris Paul, who's used to having the ball in his hands, running the show all the time, possession after possession, every team he's ever played on, this is a different feel for him. And the shots he's getting from deep are different. And he doesn't have the rhythm that he would normally have coming into that because he doesn't have the ball nearly as much. And I think that affects a guy like Chris Paul, who is not a pure shooter. So when you add all that up, you see him struggling right now. Look, I don't, he's not going to continue at this clip, but I don't think Chris Paul is going to have a great year 
with a high percentage from the three-point line. He'll have nights where he can do it. But there are going to be a lot of nights where it just all feels different to him. And those catch-and-shoot threes in particular spaced out the way they are, it's just not going to happen at a high rate of efficiency. Well, you start two for 26, it's almost hard to have a good year. You're starting from a real hole. That's 8%. He's shooting 8% from three so far. So that's that's a big hole to kind of dig out of uh, percentage-wise. What about their size? I mean, this is – you just look at their roster. You knew this was going to be one of their issues. And we know they thrive in small ball, and they've, they've, they've been able to have switchy lineups and play small. Kevon Looney last night gets 11 rebounds. He grabs five on the offensive glass, and they still get out-rebounded by 10. Um, and it was very noticeable just how small they were. Is this something that you look at and say, hey, this could be a tragic flaw? It, not just a, like a thing they have to overcome, but a tragic flaw for the Warriors. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, when it's all said and done, I think this could be the thing we're talking about, like when their season ends. But yeah. we were talking about it last year. And yeah. I thought they looked really overwhelmed physically, right, against the Lakers. Yeah. They just they just looked like they were getting tossed yeah. around. They, they, these guys were casting shadows over their players. And – Everybody always thinks, well, they're so good offensively and Steph is so good, you can you can overcome that. Not not likely against the better teams when you get to that point in the season. So they go out and you know they they lose guys like Jordan Poole and, and Dante DiVincenzo, like those guys move on. I don't think they're as small as they were last year, even though they added Chris Paul, who's gonna play a lot of minutes. You know, you get Sarich, right? Who's bigger. Yeah. I think Kaminga's gonna play more minutes this year, which gives them length and size, but they don't really have a lot of long guys. Like when you look around their roster, they're, they're just not. Their wings are all in that like six, seven range. That's pretty much who they are. So you got Looney and you got Sarich, who basically plays on the perimeter. That's pretty much it. And that's just what they're used to. That's what they're going to go with. And what they are hoping is that guys like Moody and Kaminga, right, those guys as they become more prominent, they give them athletic ability at six, seven, six, eight. That makes them play bigger and look bigger. That's ultimately their best case scenario when you play the bigger teams. But um, they didn't really address the length and athleticism up front. They don't have six, ten, six, eleven guys running above the rim. That's just not who they are. It's not the makeup of their team. I don't think they're as small as they were a year ago. But it's still going to be something we're going to talk about with them. I mean, you get seven of eleven from Steph Curry last night uh, from three. He had twenty-eight points. Like, he had a good game especially from the three-point line, and you still lose by 11 points. So it was a second night of a back-to-back. -back. They are in a little bit of an older team. So, you know, I'm not, not trying to make excuses, but, you know, that is part of the of what happened in this game. But I would look at the size of them. You mentioned the Lakers. Lakers are big. The Lakers got bullied by Denver physically last year. Denver's even a level above them in terms of size and physicality. So there are teams in the West that I think are going to have an exploitable advantage size-wise, you know, as you get into this. And I am curious. Like, obviously, the Warriors – they have the speed advantage. They have the three-point shooting advantage. But um, there's always a balance you have to strike between your biggest strengths and your biggest weaknesses. And I just wonder if they're a little out of tilt. Let's um, let's talk about Evan Mobley. One of the most interesting players uh, this season. In fact, coming into the year, I asked you, give me a list of the most interesting guys. He made your short list. He goes for 13 points, six rebounds, two assists, one block. His defense was phenomenal last night. What is it about Evan Mobley that makes that you find so fascinating this season? Well, I look for guys that could be tipping points, right? Guys that can help shift the balance of power for a team. And so you look, where is the most growth when you look at that, that next tier of teams, right? Who can that be? Evan Mobley clearly is a guy for, 
for them. And I think even league-wide, he's one of the guys I look at because I just still think there is so much more there offensively for Evan Mobley to go grab. Now, it's not necessarily translating here early in the year. Even even just looking at his numbers, they're very sure. similar to what he did a year ago. His rebounding numbers are, are the highest they've been of his career. He's actually – his block shots are up. His, his rim contests are up. So he's affecting the game, I think, more defensively. Offensively, not really happening to that extent. Look, and part of it is you got two ball dominant guards that yep. take a lot of shots, okay? And then when they don't shoot it, you've got these new three point shooters you've added that are going to definitely shoot it if they get their hands on it. So you say, well, where right. is that going to come from? I think part of it is a personality, right, on the part of Evan Mobley. And I think he's a guy, when he came into the league, Adam, I thought the, a good comparison, I thought he could be like sort of like a Chris Bosch type of player. Um, I thought that was a good comparison. His stroke, similar. I think he can eventually take it out to be a consistent three-point shooter with his stroke, which Chris Bosh became when she right. got to Miami, Miami, right? I don't know that he'll ever be as good as Chris Bosh was with his back to the basket on the low post or mid post like he was in Toronto when they ran their offense through him and he was, you know, he could dominate anybody one-on-one -on -one down there because he was so quick. I don't know if he'll be that, but I do think he's a guy – that can hunt shots a little bit more than he does now. I feel like everything he gets are crumbs. It's all an yep. afterthought for them offensively. Yeah. That's where the progression has to happen for Evan Mobley. I think there's more there. Haven't seen it yet early in the year, but he's a fascinating guy to keep an eye on for that reason. And if he gets that element with what else they have on this team and how good they are defensively, man, that does make Cleveland a lot more interesting. So he's the guy you want to look at. Can he grab that next rung on the ladder offensively? Remains to be seen. How much of this do you think? His rookie season, they have one team. Darius Garland's there. You know, he's it's a rookie season, but he's clearly a building block. Then you bring in some other players, and they you add a different, a completely different roster around him. How much do you think is – maybe he would have benefited from like two, three years of being on a bad team where he gets to explore those things as opposed to he had to fit in now to other star players. How much do you think that affected his development? That's a very good point. And I think, you know, I'll use an analogy to Kyle Kuzma. I always talk about Kyle Kuzma, like when he was with the Lakers and, you know, think about his first couple of years in the league, he got up to like 17 a game and they were bad. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden overnight, like he wakes up one morning and somebody texts him and said, oh, by the way, we got LeBron and we got AD. We expect to win a title right. this year. So now you're going to come off the bench right. and you're going to cut your shot attempts in half and hope you're going to be happy with that. And it's a major adjustment for a young player. So I, th I think there's some truth to what you're saying. When you're on a bad team and you come into the league and you're a high pick, obviously there's a lot more freedom there and freedom to make mistakes and growth. And you're able to kind of test the boundaries of who you are offensively and find yourself and find what your ceiling is. When the expectations as a team, you know, dramatically change. And now you're you're like a team that you're expecting to contend once you go out and you get Mitchell. Now you're expecting to contend. And so the role is different. Your spot in the pecking order is different. Type of shots your team is going to get are all different. I think that's a very, very fair point and a legitimate point. So now you put it on Mitchell to raise him. The coaching staff, the organization, to understand you've got to make sure you cultivate a guy drafted this high and max out who he can be offensively. I think he's a long way from that. I don't think this I is do a, too. I don't think this is a 14 or 15 a point game player at his ceiling. I think this is a guy that can get up there north of 18. 
maybe in that 19 to 20 point range where you're talking about a double double player and you know what that means also getting you a couple blocks on the other end and and, and all that versatility that's an all-star and yeah. that's if you draft a guy that high that's what you're expecting him to turn into i think evan mobley has that and you know the good thing about this is adam we're talking about him because he matters like he's not irrelevant he's a guy that we both see as having all that yeah. growth potential now let's see it let's see him make it happen well we haven't even got to the defensive side we'll get to that here in a bit where he's a monster i mean that's that's really his bread and butter but to become the two-way player that's a star is a two-way player and you look at the numbers you mentioned this earlier 15 points his rookie season 16 his sophomore season 15 in the early go here they're almost identical you look at the block numbers the steal numbers the assist numbers everything kind of looks the same even field goal attempts field goal percentages so it really is two years where the numbers are identical and a third year where he's on track to have identical numbers now here's the thing for me legs he has a very good shot a very good jump shot and he has a, a pretty natural touch like he just has soft touch for a big man but i don't so he you look at him and you think okay he has this um this he could be a skilled big but i think he's actually pretty deficient in a lot of the connecting skills you think about i don't think he has the best hands you know there's he bobbles he can bobble passes or this or that where a lot of times you're grabbing a rebound you got to grab quick and go up quick and sometimes he just is a little slow gathering his coordination on those um you look at him putting the ball on the floor it, 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 i get nervous every time he kind of faces up and makes a move because you don't know if it's going to be smooth and fluid or if he's going to dribble it off of his foot or his defender's foot so to me that's where i love his game i love his upside but i'm a little bit skeptical just because i wish i saw a little bit more development in those parts the parts that connect his talents and his skills and right now he kind of looks like most bigs at those things no i agree it's a fair point and but you know you and i both i think understand when you look at him you see the potential to do those things that no one's gonna no one's gonna magically add that that's it comes just through work and and yeah. also getting an opportunity like to be able to do those things and and being part of like what they're asking you to do and play through because you know he's got to get better at those things like he has to be able to step out off the mid post catch turn face and and have a good jab step to go one one direction yep. to the other straight line dribble drive but he also needs to be able to go one dribble in that direction get cut off and now spin back yep. right and be able to play then through contact and get to the rim like that's the kind of thing when i mentioned chris bosh that's what bosh did so good in toronto he'd step out off the right block where he liked to get it he'd catch turn face at 16 feet he jab more often than not go left straight line dribble drive but if you cut that off, he would immediately spin back and now use your body against you, get you on his back, play through contact, get to the line, go into his right hand off. And it was all lightning quick stuff because yeah. it has to be. Unless you develop into a situation where you know they're going to allow you to isolate out a three-point line, you're going to play with the ball a little bit, but I don't think that's going to be Evan Mobley. It has no. to be one and two dribble type moves, quick, decisive with a purpose and there's four or five that you can master in certain situations that's all you need he needs to add that and that's only going to come through hard work and and the organization kind of encouraging him to do those things you will see that growth so i don't think it's a you know we're, we've written the final chapter on his handle or his his, his ability right. to get to a shot off the dribble or things like that i do think at 22 years old i think there's there's more there for him question is going to be is it something he's really working to add and is it something the organization is encouraging that he do because there might be yeah. potential for him to add that in games that second part i think is so huge i'm, I'm so curious what the Cavs see for him and the both the short and the long term 
uh, on those things? What types of skills do they see him developing? The last thing I have for him is the strength. You know, he's a skinny frame. He's a skinny build. He's never going to be, you know, the, the Shaq type of guy. But one of the things that concerns me about him, we talked about this last week in our first show. They play the Knicks on the front end of a two-game sort of home-and-home. Home. He gets absolutely bullied by Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein. They got physical with him. Now, he bounced back in the second game, and I thought he he gave some a little bit more back, and they get the win uh, the second time around. But that's the thing that I look at, and I think there's some really good big centers in the NBA right now. And even though he's playing alongside of Jared Allen, to me, the strength part of that, the lower body strength in particular, he's kind of got high hips, really long legs, and that serves him well in a lot of different things. He, he jumped, he's got a little pogo stick jump to him. But I wonder if he needs to be a little bit stronger just to be able to handle some of these bigger body guys. Definitely does. I mean, they list, they list him. I don't know. You know, sometimes these weights aren't accurate. They, 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 you know, I had the same weight on my basketball card my entire career. And it was like from when I came into the league and I was, I had added 15 yeah. pounds probably over the course of my career and just muscle and just whatever. And so I, when I retired, I, I was listed at like six four two fifteen, and he's six eleven two fifteen. So <laughs> it, it, you know, it goes, it goes to show you you're right. And he, look, he's wiry strong up top. He, he's got good functional strength up top. His lower body needs to get yeah. significantly stronger to hold position. Um, and, and that is going to actually be much more helpful to him offensively. Defensively, he's long enough, quick enough, and he's got really good anticipation and timing. He's going to be a major factor regardless defensively, and he already is that. The, the, where the, the, the added strength is going to help him, it's going to be offensively. Holding position when he's got a guy yes. on his back and wants the ball, and he's not pushed out from 12 feet to 20 feet by the time he catches it because now it's, it's a, a totally a different point. totally different possession for him if that happens it's yeah. also getting into like i said i think eventually i think he can become a good three-point shooter he doesn't, he's taken half as many this year as he has in his first couple years so for whatever reason he's just not getting attempts here early in the year the lower body strength is going to help him feel more comfortable that that is an easy shot for him right now he doesn't have that so i think it's fair to say that that's something that evan mobley needs to add as well is there anything defensively you can point to? Because this is the thing that he enters the league with. Rim protection, incredible, and, and quick reaction speed and all those different things. And then the ability to sit down and guard out on the perimeter. That's his bread and butter. And that's where he's already, I think, pretty elite at, if not already elite. But is there anything you look at and say, hey, here's where he can improve even on that side? I think, you know, as as he gets stronger and he gets a little bit probably more confident in the league, I think he could be a little bit more of a tough rebounder. Yeah, he, okay. he You know, he's a good rebounder now, but those ones in traffic against bigger, stronger guys, and he's going to have to face some of those guys, right? When you go up against, you know, a Giannis Antetokounmpo and the guy's relentlessly coming all night, you've got to be able to hold him off. So as he gets stronger, I think he can be a better in-traffic, tough rebounder. That can improve. Where he is elite right now is his ability to track guards after he either gets a switch or he jumps out on a and guard either splits or turns the corner. And now he's in a position of retreating, trying to catch the guard. His ability to track those guys to the rim and make, make them feel his presence is elite level. It's special. It's critical in this league more than ever because the makeup of the league has so many guys – uh, on the on the floor at any given time that can beat you to the rim with their athletic ability. 
and there's and the way you're just spaced out in general. You know, bigs are asked to cover more ground than they've ever been asked to, and that is a big part of why Evan Mobley, I think, is so special on that end of the floor, and will continue to get there. But like, be nice to watch a game and you see him get those really tough four guys go up for the ball. He yeah. comes down with it, snatching yeah. tight rebounds. That's when you go, okay, man, like this guy will remind you when he does that, he'll remind you of like a Kevin Garnett type of player, like when he can do that. Because KG was getting those in addition to the stuff he was doing as one of the best perimeter defensive centers this league's ever seen. The Cavs' upcoming schedule is interesting. At Oklahoma, They go on a West Coast road trip at Oklahoma City, at Golden State, at Sacramento, at Portland. You know, they're three and four. This is a big trip for them. Again, there's going to be some real challenges there. Those are good teams. Um, there's a couple of them with size too, or at least you get Sacramento who have some size. So I'm, I'm excited for that one. Um, and I'm excited to see how they return to Cleveland after that four game, uh, road trip, see, see what kind of progress they can make or, or if they fall behind to wrap up today, legs, the in season tournament. I don't know if you turned on your television on Friday, some bright courts, some weird uniforms, some, a lot of pomp and circumstance, but at the end of the day, the games were really interesting. And the results of those games actually have me a little bit more intrigued than I was going into it about the validity of the in-season tournament, the excitement of it, and just what it might become. I'm curious if you feel the same. Listen, I'm not ready to completely say I was dead <laughs> wrong. All right? I'm to an easier me- sell than you. You're, you're, you're more of a skeptic. I'm, I'm an easier sell. To get me to do that, make a full admission, all right? You, you don't know me well enough. To, you're going to have to work on me for a little bit. Okay. That. But, I will, but I also, I could, I take pride in the fact, as long as I've been doing this job, I absolutely admit if I got something wrong. And I think early on, I was wrong about a couple things. First, and, and I was a little worried because I don't know if you saw the co- comment by Bones Highland. They asked <laughs> yeah. about, about the, you know, in-season tournament. And he basically said, I ain't going to lie to you. I don't even know what's going on right now. <laughs> Like that's, that's that might have been more of a Bones Highland thing, though, Legs. That might have been more about Bones. But I, I was wondering if that was going to permeate some of the league. Like, is this because it's just kind of disguised in a regular season yeah. game early in the year? Is it going to really have that effect when you wake up that morning and you're shoot around in your film session? Like, this game means a little bit more than a normal regular season game. And I'm very excited to say early returns are that, yes, with the games I have watched, it seems like there's a little added intensity to these games and it's been great to watch. Now I could do without some of these courts, right? Visually, (laughs) I I, I could do without some of that, but it's okay. It is what it is. And I think that's the league's attempt to say, Hey, if you're at home right now and you didn't know it and you're asking questions like what's up with the court because you didn't know now you're going to Google that you're going to find out. Oh, Oh, okay. This is an, that's why they did it. And it makes sense. But I will say this, the intensity has been great, Adam. And, and I thought Draymond Green's comments, of all people, you're talking about a guy that doesn't want to give a pat on the back to the league, right? <laughs> right. Draymond Green. Draymond Green came out and said, congrats. Give yourselves a hand, a, a hand, a round of applause, league, because you got this right. This was awesome. And it did matter. And, it, and, and guys were carrying that into the game, throughout the game, and you felt it. And I just didn't think you were going to early on and man early returns on this thing are phenomenal it's it's far better than i thought it was going to be and and i think now as we get deeper into this you're going to see more and more of that as as teams try to make a statement and end up at one of those final four spots in vegas so i didn't like the way the courts looked 
I don't like the silly jerseys, but I do think it lent itself to, it gave gravity to the moment. Subconsciously or whatever, it just felt different. It felt like, okay, this is something that means something more than usual. And I do think it all added up, you know, to guys going a little bit harder. And the thing that gives me the most hope, I mean, this thing is either going to succeed or fail, I think, by who who participates and who wins at the end. Because I do think there are teams that could win this one or succeed in it where you look at it and go, yeah, but what does that mean? But let's look at the standings real quick. Right now, the 76ers haven't played. They're in Group A. You have the Pacers who won, who beat Cleveland. The Pacers have been off to a pretty good start. Their offense is fun. But the 76ers are the favorites to come out of there. You go to Group B. The Milwaukee Bucks, they moved to 1-0. They beat the Knicks. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks, we all know, one of the teams in the NBA. You go over to Group C. The Boston Celtics haven't played. They're the favorites over there. You go to the West. The Lakers and Suns have not played. They're the favorites there. Group B, Denver, obviously one of the favorites. The reigning champs, they picked up a big win against Dallas. And by the way, maybe their best performance of the year, that or the Lakers game on opening night, they clear, they're one of the teams I'm guessing you're talking about when you say they seem to play with a little extra motivation or intensity and then in the last bracket group c you have a golden state who picked up a win over oklahoma city so if we get to las vegas and you have a tournament that features the warriors the nuggets the the suns the celtics the 76ers and the bucks well that's the best teams in the nba we're only one game into the tournament but we're off to okay it looks like these teams the marquee teams are setting themselves up for a very interesting weekend in vegas and to me, that's how the NBA wins. When you get the, the best teams playing well and they're at the final stages, I think people tune in and they get into it. I agree with you. And I think everything you just said is true. Now, here's here's how I will say, you know, I think I'm going to view this. Based on what I've seen early, this is great. It's a great sign because I think that's going to continue with these games. And then eventually, obviously, we're going to get down to the final four and they're going to play it out in Vegas. You're going to have a winner. And let's say it's one of the teams you just said. Great. It's one of the teams on the short list that could be also hosting a parade in June. We get that. Right. But I do think at that point, all that stuff, it all gets put to bed. Like it doesn't matter anymore. Okay. That was great. It's almost like, it's almost like, you know, teams in college when you win a Christmas tournament, right? So you went, you know, you sure, go to Chaminade, sure. you go to Chaminade for a Christmas tournament. And I played in, in, in a couple of those type tournaments in Hawaii when I was in college and it's great. And if you win it, man, that feels awesome. But that's yeah. more about, you know, you need to get certain wins for the NCAA tournament, right? More than anything else. But it feels great. We want it. But then that kind of gets put away as soon as you start playing the rest of your sure. schedule and you start thinking about the actual playoff season. But their goal was very simple. Create added interest for the players in the regular season. Create, And that would mean creating added interest for the fans in the regular season. Because of what we've gone through with load management and everything else, the regular yeah. season has taken a hit. In the last few years, there's no way around that. It has diminished value. They're trying to improve that. Early signs are they've accomplished it here. And now let's see how this continues. But I, I'm listen, I, I, I was in on it, man. I was watching it saying, man, these guys are going hard. This, yeah. this may be something they actually have talked about here uh, before the game, which I didn't think they were going to do. Here's a question I love. And, and you're the perfect person to ask this. If the in-season tournament were around in the 90s, how serious would Michael Jordan have taken it? A very. He doesn't no. want to lose anything. He doesn't want to lose the little quarter game. And Kobe this is Bryant, my thing. Kobe yeah. Bryant, same thing, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, you, you go back to the, the Pistons teams, right? Yeah. The, the mid-90s Knicks teams. Like, you're going to have to bring a crowbar in your sock, like, to get to the rim. 
right? So that you're right. I mean, I think I think competitors just love a scoreboard wins and losses. Somebody wins, somebody loses, right? Yeah. Real competitors, like they, somebody should be crying at the end of this event. Like that's the way competitors <laughs> yeah. think, yeah. right? So, yeah. so they, there's no doubt. And you add anything to it. Give me, give me a little extra something about winning yeah. within the confines of the season when I don't have to wait until June for all this winning to go on. Awesome. Sign me up. And I think real competitors are going to get into that. So kudos, man. It's, it's the early returns are great. I, and I always say, you know, one of the parts of the Jordan mystique, the, one of the parts about his legacy is, you know, nobody ate while he was on the clock, right? 91 to 98, that was the, when he was playing, the Bulls were winning. And By so, the way, I, thank you. My career was 90 to 2000, so I was one of those guys. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're right. I was starving, starving for a plate of food for a and decade. So it, in, in my head or in my mind, I just, nobody can prove me uh, otherwise that Jordan's Bulls wouldn't have also won six straight NBA Cups. Like I just say, nobody ate when he was on the clock, and that would have expended to no matter what competition you would have laid out there. So I look at that and I go, I hope the players approach it with that same thing. I mean, it doesn't mean as much as as Larry O'Brien. Nobody's ever going to say that. But I do hope it just means something to, at the end of the day, guys can point to and say, yeah, we won that one too. Like, we, 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 won, we won this, we won that, we won this, we won that, and we did it over and over again. Legs. What a great show. Great start to our Monday. We are back again Tuesday. Our schedule this week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. We're going to be talking about Jonathan Kaminga. The same way we talked about Evan Mobley, Kaminga is a a key player, a pivot player for the Warriors. We're going to talk about Keegan Murray, who's a pivot player for the Sacramento Kings. We're going to have deep dives on players. We're going to be breaking down the, the game. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever it is. We're on everything right now. And then most important of all, subscribe to our YouTube channel where we are going to be live going forward, trying to do these live so we can interact with you guys in the comments as we did today. Legs, great stuff today. Enjoyed it, Adam, always. All right, we'll see everybody tomorrow.